the truth is this thing in our necks is not designed to be good. That doesn't mean anything. And I liken that to horseback riding. If you get on a horse and you say to the horse, horse, move good. (laughs) The horse is going to like stand there and eat grass or buck you off and go to the barn. Yeah. (laughs) And so even if it moves, it won't have any purpose to it. And so it's valueless in, in the way that it moves and pointless. So this thing in our necks exists to deliver messages, and that's it, Mm -hmm. to deliver messages. And not just that, but to deliver messages to the one heart. Welcome to Audio Branding, the hidden gem of marketing. I'm your host, Jody Krangle, and this podcast will discuss just how sound influences our behavior. I generally talk about this in the context of advertising and marketing, but there are other places this is important too. I really feel that it plays a much more important role in our lives than maybe we realize. So let's delve a little deeper. This is the first part of my interview with Judy Rodman. My next guest has over 50 years of music industry success as a top session singer, recording artist, stage and TV performer, songwriter, studio producer, this is quite the list, public speaker and vocal coach. She's been named Best Vocal Coach by Nashville Music Pros and teaches singers and speakers globally from her office and online. Her students and recording clients have appeared on The Today Show, Letterman, Ellen DeGeneres, The Voice, American Idol, America's Got Talent, The Grammys, and more. She's also a published author, has her own podcast and blog called All Things Vocal, and I'm truly honored to be speaking with her today. Her name is Judy Rodman. And pay attention, because this interview is going to be something special. Thanks so much for talking with me today, Judy. I know that the times are very strange right now, so I appreciate (laughs) you're making the time. (laughs) It's great to be with you, Jody. Yeah. So how is your city doing at this point? Like, I mean, you guys have been through a lot. (laughs) Really, um, the entertainment industry is just tanking, as we all know. But what I'm telling all of my people and, and everybody in the voice world, speaking and singing, is two things. One, you have to figure out how to live through this, and it may be a year and a half. Mm-hmm. You have to figure out how to proactively live through this, and this includes, you know, creating stuff and uh, a training to, you know, to get your craft better, and practicing and connecting with fans uh, through social media and, and all the places that you can to make their world better. And that's the second thing. For the first thing is you have to live through it, be healthy, and do all those social distancing things that we need to do and uh, and raise the level of your health practices and all that. And the second thing is be useful. Yeah. And that's uh, when we're useful to other people, that's what that's the only thing that really makes us valuable. And it it I think it's it's almost as much for us as it is for other people. I mean, you know, it's it makes a win win feel good. Yeah. It's a win win. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, <laughs> as much as recent events are taking over just about everything, um, <laughs> I, I'd like to sort of get away from that for a little bit, at least. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and and start talking about um, audio and sound and how it helps people, because generally that's what we're trying to do as well. Right. So I'm curious about how you developed a love for voice in the first place, because I know you've been doing this a long time in various different ways. And I'm wondering how it got started. Well, 
you know, the truth is I've been singing and speaking, of course, since I was able to speak because I, my family was, you know, we were all amateur musicians and all that. So I've never not d- done it. And I had no intention really of doing it as a career, but as fate would have it, I had to move with my family uh, to Memphis from from Florida. I mean, I've been all over the place. My father was an air traffic controller and a bluegrass musician. Oh, and wow. so we That's moved quite around. The combo. <laughs> yeah, quite a combo. But we moved around like service brats. And you know, he used the power of music in the stress of his job. So I was really familiar with that from a very small child. Yeah, that's and he a would, stressful he also, job. <laughs> yeah, he also knew the power of community. And one thing that we always did as a family was play music together and invite neighbors and coworkers and everybody that could possibly, you know, grab a couple of blocks and hit them together, even if they couldn't sing. So those two things, one, I knew about the therapeutic use of music and I knew about the power of making music together and for each other and with each other. Mm-hmm. As I think that's probably what started it. And then professionally, my first gig was an my first gig was a national spot uh, for Gino's Pizza Logs <laughs> when I was 17 years old. So uh-huh. when I started making my first dime there, it was like, hmm. <laughs> okay. That, that's I could good. love this yeah. for more reasons than one. <laughs> yeah, no problem at all. So how did you end up doing voiceover for a while? And how did that then transition into, I mean, because you went into singing as well, obviously, but how did that transition into being a vocal coach? Oh, well, that's a long journey of rabbit trails. <laughs> By <laughs> all means, you we are... have time. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> We're a captive audience. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> you know, the truth is that uh, the voiceover thing came from me doing jingles. And of course, jingles have have voiceover components to them. Uh, I was actually a staff member, uh, I think from the time I was 19, mm-hmm. uh, of uh, a, a jingle company in Memphis. And we did at the time, this was called the, the, T- the Tanner Organization, the Pepper Tanner Organization. And we did like 70% of the world's jingles and radio IDs. And so I had to learn to read like I'm not reading, and I know you know what I mean. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. funniest, the funniest copy that I think I heard because there was a group of us, you know. And when you sing from eight thirty in the morning till three thirty in the afternoon, you get bored, and so you have to come up with things to do. And so sometimes we would make up coffee, copy. Sometimes we would make up copy. Yeah. And, coffee's uh, good too, though. Coffee's I, I good agree too. With the coffee, yeah. <laughs> oh, did we have a Mister Coffee pot in the in the place? But uh, but one of the our clients was a funeral home. You know, we were doing some copy for the funeral home, and <laughs> one of us tagged it with "We'll be the last to let you down." <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's. <laughs> That's it. And then a really big deal for me with copy, because I've always done it off and on, you know, mm-hmm. radio IDs and things like that. But longer copy was, uh, was when I de- developed my first course in vocal training. And I had to read the copy. I had to read my own writing uh, because I wanted it to be an audio course. Mm-hmm. So I had to get rid of some of my Southernese that I developed since I've been in the South for so long. <laughs> had no idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, and, and other things. And I had a an, uh, an engineer in those days. Uh, I had an engineer 
I went to the studio to to do the copy and to actually, you know, create the course, the audio files, because we didn't have the functionality we have now. This was 2004. Uh, and uh, that engineer really helped me because he busted me on the slightest little things. And uh, <laughs> you learn so when you have to, right? <laughs> I got pretty good at it at, yeah. the, at the time. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's it's interesting. Um, I was just interviewing a fellow named Rudy Fernandez, who is a um, creative director for an advertising company that deals a lot in radio. Mm-hmm. And he was actually talking about how uh, writing for radio, writing for hearing, is very different from just writing for reading. Because you have to be able to speak it. And when you speak it, it's a different thing. When you say it out loud, it's just a very different piece of copy. So, you know, writers have to be very (laughs) conscious of whether or not it's going to be spoken, right? (laughs) You know what? You know how that uh, segues right into the music industry is with songwriters. You know, songwriters that don't sing, They'll write all kinds of like e words on the top, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, and and lyrics that just don't flow into each other when you verbalize it. So I'm always st- stressing to songwriters: one good reason for taking voice and learning to sing is so you can be a better songwriter, you know, and somebody can actually sing what you've written. Yeah, that that's absolutely right. That's really I never thought about that with copy though, but it's you're the totally same thing. right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to tell you how many times I've had to read copy that just did not fit into the 30 seconds they wanted it to be. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. You want to you want to limit the tongue tanglers unless you're, uh, you know, you're one of those auctioneers. Well, also, the the thing that tends to happen is if you're reading it in your mind and you're not actually speaking it out loud, it goes a lot faster than you think it would oh, actually, yes. you know, if you're speaking it out loud, it's it's a lot slower than if you're actually thinking it. <laughs> Unless you're one of those people that I work with who talk as fast as they think, and then <laughs> no, but nobody can understand them. Uh, that's true. <laughs> but I would hope you wouldn't want your radio copy to sound like that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> people need to understand what you're saying. <laughs> right. Right. And another thing is there, there needs to be pauses. You know, the silence and the pauses uh, communicate much, uh, just a whole lot, just like Meryl Streep's eyebrow going up, you know, when film. <laughs> yeah. They, without them, one, one of my pet peeves, by the way, is podcasts where they take all the spaces out mm. because then it's like white noise. It's yeah. like just white noise. And, I had that problem yeah. when I started, I have to say. <laughs> well, because as a voice actor, I'm used to delivering pristine copy, like pristine audio to my right. clients, right? They don't right. want the breaths. They want right. that all out because they're going right. to add music or whatever processing, right? But if you're doing it in a podcast, you need to sound like a real human being. <laughs> right. And you know, that also goes along with music And that. Did you know that uh, there's some really great jingle singers who can't get arrested as artists? Oh, really? And that's because they're used to keeping the intensity of their vocals up all the mm-hmm. time because, yeah. you know, that's what you have to do in a 30-second, 60-second jingle. Um, I, I wanted to ask you about intention because I know that you have spoken about this before and audio branding is important in that aspect of things, of course. Yes. Um, but where does being a vocal coach come into that? How do you help uh, your your clients deal with that aspect? That's such an excellent question because... I think I've discovered like 
the third leg of the stool <laughs> and it, it doesn't, it, the, the, just two, two legs don't work. Mm-hmm. And that's where, you know, when you think about vocal coaching, you think about, well, they're going to help me with my breath and they're going to help me maybe open my throat and all that. And I definitely do that. But without the third leg, even if you get the first two right, you're not successful with your voice. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, in these days of uh, a lot of competition with voices, uh, you know, the, the all those crazy TV shows and all that kind of stuff, yeah. and the industry and well-meaning family and friends giving you this message, you better be good if you open your mouth. You better be good. In fact, you better be better than anybody else around you, or you should go die. <laughs> I mean, oh wow! <laughs> it's Talk visceral. About pressure. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure, though, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but the the truth is, this thing in our necks is not designed to be good. That doesn't mean anything. And I liken that to horseback riding. If you get on a horse and you say to the horse, "Horse, move good," <laughs> the horse is going to like eat, stand there and eat grass, or buck you off and go to the barn. Yeah. <laughs> And so even if it moves, it won't have any purpose to it. And so it's valueless in in the way that it moves and pointless. So this thing in our necks exists to deliver messages, and that's it, Mm -hmm. to deliver messages. And not just that, but to deliver messages to the one heart. And if it's to a group, it's to the one composite heart. And if you get outside that, if you start talking like you're talking to a whole group, you're going to numb out and it's going to spread. Yeah, they say the same thing with voiceover. Really? Yeah. Wow. You're always talking to one person. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That person that needs the service, you know. And so you have to ask yourself one more question, though. And I find people stop there a lot. But that's one brick short of a load, as they say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, one, okay. that's one step short of done. Mm-hmm. Because what really makes it be done and answers your question you're in the, about intentionality is that you have to ask yourself, first of all, how do you know when you successfully deliver a message? And that's a question that people have to really think about. And the answer is you get a response. And it's, as we know, acting technique. Yeah. And then the question becomes, okay, so what response do you want? And the answer better not be a Grammy Award or a Dove <laughs> Award or, or applause even. Yeah, because that is one removed. You can be singing, um, like the Taylor Swift song "Mean," uh, or speaking something that says this: uh, "One uh, someday I'll be living in a big old city, and all you're ever going to be is mean." Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully that's not to the audience. Yeah. So the the point is that the uh, uh, the person that you want the response from is the heart you're talking to. Mm-hmm. And so the answer to what response you want is, it depends. It depends on the message and it depends on what response that you want. So the end goal or the brass ring, however you want to think of it, of all vocal sound should be thought of as get the response you want. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it changes everything. It changes everything. Sure. Yeah. So, so, so that goes, and it's synergistic with breath and open throat, because if you don't get your breath control and breath support and inhale and all that right, um, you're not going to be able to deliver the vocal, uh, the vocal sound and the the confidence uh, and uh, that you want, and you you are, or you might be shouting it, 
and using you know forward pressure, which is not going to usually get the response you want unless you want to scare somebody. Mm-hmm. And the open throat thing is, if you don't give your voice access to all your resonating surfaces, you're not going to be able to accept, access your complete tone palette. Mm-hmm. And then what once you have that access and that's all technique is that's all training is is to give you access to all that but then you need to be trained in communication skills too because your intention to get a response is what chooses from your palate mm-hmm. and from your functionality and your your choices of even pauses and things like that so when we're reading copy or when we're singing songs we're almost always do in a time machine where you're going to be really listened to by someone in the future. So that's where our imaginations come in. And we have to, uh, you know, making a vocal sound is always a, uh, a two-way street. Even if we're moaning because we're in pain, we're talking to ourselves externally. It's a two-way street. So what we need to do is let that other, that other person uh, interact with us, even if it's in our imagination. Okay. So along those lines, um, can you talk a little about articulation? Yes. Um, yeah, because it kind of feeds into what you were just saying about using the full power of your vocal range. Right. And here's the very simple bottom line. If people can't understand you, how can they respond to you? It gets back to our prime directive. Very good point. <laughs> right. And if you over uh, enunciate, then your message is going to sound inauthentic, mm-hmm. you know, or kind of disgusting. <laughs> yeah. So you, you want to, you know, when we're talking to somebody, we change our voices. We all do, especially vocal coaches and, and, uh, and voiceover talent uh, do it to an nth degree. But everybody changes their voices like if you're trying to tell some bully to stop it, or you're trying to read a nursery rhyme to a child, mm-hmm. I think you can see that you're going to change your vocal, vocal tone. Definitely. Yeah. And if you've got access to more tone, you've got more, you've got more variables available. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can be more uh, effective. So yeah, we articulate in certain ways and that goes with singing and speaking. If you articulate in a different language, again, they can't understand you. So if you're articulating in musical theater or jingle language, when you're singing a song or talking to your sister, you know, who can read your (laughs) words. So Mm -hmm. it, it all goes back to what response do you want? How do I need to articulate what I'm saying to get that response? And another thing, if you can, if you can think about this, like, if you're talking to somebody and you're telling them something and you know they're not present with you, they're kind of going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, but they're really, really focused on something else. What do yeah. we do? Maybe I should stop saying, mm-hmm, so much. <laughs> <laughs> I am paying attention. <laughs> no, I, I can tell among, I can tell the, the mm-hmms. I can okay. tell they are different. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, um, you know, if they're not listening to you, what do you do? Mm-hmm. You <laughs> over-articulate. <laughs> you start spelling it out a little bit more. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really fascinating how our brains work, too. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. 
This has been part one of our interview. I hope you'll tune in next week for part two. Well, that's the end of this episode. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, please take a moment to give the podcast a review. It's greatly appreciated and super helpful. Until next time.